UN Today and Here's London present Health Today, a series of interviews with health experts based in Switzerland who share their personal stories, their professional experience, and how they envision their work in the future. Today, we speak to Dr. Anna Ratt, Medical Director of the Checkup Center at Here's London. Anna, to begin with, thank you very much for your generous time. Uh, let's start with the most complex question of the interview, a job interview question. What could you tell me about yourself? So, thank you first of all that I can be here today. It's really a pleasure. My name is Dr. Anna Rat. Uh, I'm uh, a medical director in Hills London Clinic in Zurich, uh, in charge of preventive medicine and personalized prevention. I'm, however, uh, originally from Finland. Uh, I grew up there, although I'm half Swiss, um, from a quite a multicultural uh, environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I fairly early on moved abroad to explore the world. And uh, I was always in, uh, involved in sports. I was also competing uh, also on the international level in, in skiing. And nowadays, mm -hmm. I somehow ventured into bob sledding uh, and monobob sledding. So I'm really into winter sports, of course, because I'm from Finland, so that comes quite naturally. And through that, I also then entered into the world of sports medicine. I'm uh, in the national team's vice hockey as a medical doctor. And, uh -huh. uh, we, we take care of some Formula One drivers. And, so it all came quite naturally in direction sports medicine, prevention, and now also personalized prevention. And you, you are from where exactly in Finland? Uh, I'm from the capital region, uh, so Helsinki and the, the, the neighborhoods over there. And uh, But again, I moved to the U.S. when I was 16, so I quickly then went out in the world and started exploring. And from the U.S.? And from the U.S. I went to Switzerland, and from Switzerland to Rome, and uh, Milan, and back to the U.S., and England, and a few countries. And, and then you landed here for good? And then I landed here, whether it's for good or not, I don't know, but I feel I feel very fortunate to be in Switzerland. This is, of course, a fascinating environment for a doctor, a scientist, uh, also a health systems uh, expert, because we have the NGOs, we have the WHO, we have uh, the pharmaceutical industry, all kinds of biotech and digital medicine, startups, and, of course, hospitals, hospital systems that are uh, excellent in quality. So it's, it's thrilling. What exactly is your responsibility at work? So, in our department we focus on preventive medicine and particularly personalized prevention, uh -huh. which really incorporates lifestyle, sports, uh, nutrition, whatnot, with genetics and then medicine, traditional medicine. We have coaching, so we really try to help people optimize their health, whether they are chronically ill or whether they're top athletes that want to go and win the world championships. And so, of course, we have, for instance, ice hockey players, Formula One drivers that really then have to go and win, uh, ideally. But we also have completely normal people, hobby athletes uh, or someone with a chronic disease such as, let's say, diabetes. And there's so much you can do in terms of prevention to optimize the health, even in chronic disease, and avoid complications. So that's what we mainly do. But of course, we're a teaching hospital as well. So we have students that come to learn medicine and we teach them. We also have resident doctors that we teach. So it's really a very, very broad spectrum. Based on the, on the responsibilities that you have, how would you foresee this job in the future? So 
The concept of personalized prevention and prevention is not completely new. It will have much more weight in the future. We will look much more at how to optimize health and avoid disease. But it's not completely new. Already in the UN Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, the definition of health and the right to health was really about uh, attaining the best possible health for every single individual. And that was, of course, groundbreaking then, but we're going more and more in that direction. And in 10 years' time, we will really be immersed fully in preventive medicine and in personalized medicine. Okay. We will integrate much more gadgets, wearables, such as shirts uh, with monitors in the fabric or aura rings, uh, which will be, of course, developed severely. Uh, also, all kinds of wearables like Apple watches and new watches that we can't even imagine uh, to be a part of the everyday clinical uh, care of our patients. So patients, not only in the lifestyle sector, but really the patients that are maybe suffering from a chronic disease, they can be monitored real time from home. And this data can then be transferred directly to the treating physician through, for instance, uh, technologies such as the Internet of Things, IOTs, which is kind of like a postman between uh, the doctor and the patient. We will also have more artificial intelligence involved in the everyday care uh, of patients. And then, of course, genetics. So we will be able to not only look at the lifestyle, but also the genetic background, the chromosomes, the genes, and integrate that into the care. And also cater and also design therapies that are based specifically and personalized to the patient's genes. I understand. And you, you, you mentioned that... Uh that you are working with professional athletes. What are the main learnings that you could share based on your experience and um, based on their experience as well as learners? Well, we, we work with the entire spectrum of uh, people and patients, but one part of it are our top athletes, and we can learn a lot from them. Because if you think about, for instance, uh, Formula One drivers, they're under extreme stress. And they still have to um, have to perform under pressure. Uh, and the same goes, for instance, for, let's say, a CEO of a, a publicly listed company or, or maybe also someone who just runs a family business. They might at times be under extreme pressure, under extreme stress. And through our top athletes and uh, through the experience that we have with them, we, we've learned a lot how to cope with stress and how to turn stress into something positive and also how to de-stress between the peaks. So there, there's a lot we've learned about the top athletes and, and how to deal with pressure. For example, how do you do, because the, the, um, the, the, the word and the concept of stress can be divided into during the performance, mm -hmm before and after absolutely right this is it yeah so 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 how do you how do you work in those three lines for example usually before performing it might be the mm -hmm. highest peak mm -hmm. maybe because you you are surrounded by uncertainty you've been preparing a lot for something and you, you might be nervous so what what is the approach towards that particular moment mm -hmm. So in acute stress situations, we talk about eustress and distress. The eustress is, is basically something positive that you can use to perform better. And distress then is something that really will actually decrease your performance and your well-being also on, in an acute fashion. And this is known since 
at least 1909, it, I think it was published the first time, the curve or the um, connection between stress and performance. And in this, this article that was published already then, mm-hmm. uh, there's a clear um, message that if there's no stress, there will be no performance. People get uh, get uh, bored, people do not uh, cannot, uh, cannot really uh, uh, achieve peak performance. Uh, when the stress, however, is too high, we also collapse. We can't concentrate anymore. We can't uh, finish our tasks anymore. So the stress has to be there. Uh, not too much, not too little, but for performance it has to be there. However, when the task has been done, when we've done what we needed to do, when we've finished our race, we have to be able to de-stress and to regenerate. Mm-hmm. And in chronic stress situations, this does not happen. And this has, of course, detrimental in, impacts on, on, on health and well-being in general. Mm-hmm. And what are, the, what are the main metrics that you have to measure stress? There are more and more um, parameters that we are using also on a daily basis. So the, the very traditional classic one is, of course, cortisol. Cortisol in our blood. And, and that can be measured, and we do need a little bit of cortisol, but when the cortisol level is too high, that just indicates that the danger of then falling into kind of a burnout is, is, is significantly heightened. Uh, we also look at uh, heart variability, uh, heart rate variability. That's a very, very good measure that we use more and more, uh, which means if you have a high variability in your heart rate, you're more... Uh, robust and you can cope better with stress uh, and therefore of course under stress and pressure perform better and during chronic stress this heart rate variability goes down and that we can measure and that's a huge fantastic indicator for us both in taking care of patients but of course also in in uh, in our top athletes so for example the fact that i am being measured towards stress it can stress me even more because I'm, I'm, I'm being, you know, following things that I didn't know before and that I'm, I am being controlled. So that might generate the stress over the stress, I guess. So what are the, 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 the techniques that you, that you, that you see today or that might be coming in, in, in the future to massage the brain in order to get not so high in stress, but also to see all these metrics and measures and processes as a healthy contribution towards Mm -hmm. your quality of life. I think the gadgets uh, and the technology that we use today are still a little bit clumsy and of course it depends a little bit also on which generation we're talking about also in terms of the patients. Uh, If you're not used, if you didn't grow up with digital health and gadgets and watches and aura rings and whatnot, uh, you're more likely to realize that you're carrying them and that might, as you say, really stress you. So if we, for instance, look at my parents, I think they would be horribly stressed to carry a, or wear a watch all day that, uh, that measures all kinds of uh, vital parameters. On the other hand, if you look at the 20-year-old uh, uh, natives of, of these kind of gadgets, I don't think they even realize that they're carrying anything. Uh, so they are much more in, inclined to really profit from this. And the more we develop, develop these uh, technologies and the more they are wearable, uh, of course, the better. But it is true. I mean, I myself, uh, I can get quite stressed from being too 
monitored. And, and it also depends on whom I have to share the data with. The data and who the data belongs to is of extreme importance, of extreme importance. So <clears throat> I guess that, that one of the tools that you have to fight stress is to have a good sleep. Right? Yes. It's like where you, if you would take your, your whole brain, you put it in the fridge or in the freezer even more, to then try to disconnect from, from whatever you've been doing or, or from whatever you are going to do in the, in the next day. What is the, the impact and how important uh, the fact of having a good sleep is in connection with uh, uh, someone who's having a stressful mm -hmm. life? It's, it's, it's very important. Um, Arianna Huffington already, she, she, she spoke quite a lot about sleep and the impact of sleep and the importance of sleep. Of course, not coming from a medical uh, point of view, but uh, just out of her own experience. And I think that was a great eye-opener about 10 years ago for a lot of uh, executives, a lot of uh, sportsmen, also absolutely normal patients to, to really, the, the message really arrived, I think, uh, very well. Uh, so she was a great, and she is a great advocate of sleep. Sleep is very important. So if we look at it from a, just, just from a biochemical point of view, at night, uh, a lot of the toxins, a lot of the metabolites uh, that have been generated during the day are transported and eliminated. And if you don't get sleep, this process is not happening. Therefore, these toxic products will start impacting your brain. So just from a biomedical point of view, I think this is quite, uh, quite so amyloid plaques, for instance, Alzheimer's disease, degenerative uh, brain diseases are very much associated uh, uh, with, um, with lack of sleep as well. Mm -hmm. uh, another interesting biomedic uh, biomedical um, fact is that Uh, the brain, of course, needs energy and massive amounts of energy. And during the night, and, and these, these packages, the ATP packages are of energy are depleted during the day success, uh, successively. And at night, they have to be built up again so that you're ready in the morning to move and uh, you have energy in your brain that the brain needs in the morning. And if you don't sleep, this process is also hindered. So this is just a biomedical point of view. But we also know, for instance, that 25%, 20 to 25% of all traffic accidents, for instance, are due to sleep deprivation. And if you're up for, let's say, 18 to 20 hours uh, and you don't get sleep uh, for one or two days, that will equal uh, the legal limit for being intoxicated. Um, so your brain is that much hindered from not getting the sleep. So sleep is, is, is crucial. The, the neurologists call it the hygiene of, of the sleep. Mm -hmm. What are the key aspects for you to reach out to that hygiene? For example, there's people who go to bed with their mobiles, they sleep with their mobiles just right beside, they, they watch to certain content before trying to reach out, you know, the first stage first stage of your sleep and then they cannot reach the second one second level and there's a lot of advices about it what would be your first two or three that are crucial to mm -hmm. try to get that point well the field of sleep medicine will getting back to your initial question a, a few minutes ago uh, will 
develop tremendously in the next uh, 10 years. Uh, it will get much more ref refined. Uh, at the moment, uh, we are a little bit in the beginning uh, in, in, in many ways. So we have to we have to look at very simple things that you can do in order to improve your sleep. And one of them, of course, is not to expose your, your eyes and, and yourself to very strong light right before you're going to bed, because that will trigger, trigger some hormonal uh, changes. And uh, another thing, of course, is not to stress yourself and read too many emails and, and, uh, and uh, WhatsApps uh, right before going to bed. Something that a lot of people do is they bring their uh, cell phone or their smartphone uh, to, to the bedroom and, and, and might quickly before they go to bed still perhaps read the news. And, uh, and this, of course, does not calm you down. It has light exposure. It will have no beneficial impact uh, on, 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 on your sleep. Another very important, uh, quite clear factor is caffeine, although we of course all uh, metabolize caffeine differently depending on our genes. Uh, we still all are somewhat stimulated by caffeine. Caffeine used to be actually classified as, a, as doping. Uh, not anymore, but it used to because it's such a stimulating um, agent uh, for the brain, uh, which you can use to your benefit, but not if you want to sleep. So you should really avoid drinking caffeine, uh, I would say even after midday, actually. And caffeine is not only coffee, caffeine is only also breakfast tea, even green tea has quite a lot of caffeine in it. So that's a, that's a very important factor. Mm -hmm. So I should switch from my Netflix series to a book and from my glass of Coke to a glass of water. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, you know, today with 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 technology, as uh, we were talking before, there's a lot of a lot of metrics that people are following, mm -hmm. not only on 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 through their watches and through their phones and the computers, plus the ones that the doctor tell tells you to follow and so on. And in a way, there's 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 too much information that that you are tracing, and sometimes more is less. If we had to go through less is more, which would be the key metrics that you you would recommend in order to merge this cocktail of stress and sleep mm -hmm. and having a healthy a healthy life? If you had to choose your favorite ones. Which would be those? How many can I choose? Well, let's say let's say three. Three. I can give you four, but let's say three. And at what age? Well, average age, let's say, uh, um, let's say, let's say, forty to fifty, forty to sixty, if you like. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, I would measure heart rate variability. It's extremely informative uh, because of the stress. Um, factor involved so you can really monitor and also react uh, quickly if something goes in the right direction uh, in the wrong direction uh, since we're talking about a population for 40 to 60 I would also integrate the blood pressure because you might know that 60% of the people over 60 in Switzerland suffer from high blood pressure and they not, might not know about it and uh, high blood pressure has just so many uh, negative impacts on, on health in general so that I would certainly do. And then perhaps a third one would be um, 40 to 60, perhaps blood sugar. 
So if we had to, if we had to wrap up everything that we've, dis we've been discussing about prevention, uh, every person needs a step one to start. What that step one would be for you? I think we have to look at personalized prevention uh, from various levels, from a, in a systems point of view, from a systems level, but also on an individual level. And if we look from a systems point of view, it's so important that we really promote health and optimizing health for the entire population. It shouldn't be something that only the few and privileged have access to. Uh, and I think through digitalization, through genetic uh, screenings in a targeted fashion that are becoming more and more accessible, it also means that the population can profit, everyone can profit from this and optimize their health and therefore also, of course, make society as a whole healthier. Uh, on an individual level, uh, I think it's thrilling that we have so many new technologies that we can use and we can also have, we have so much information that we can access and there are also more and more also apps that uh, we are providing also with direct um, Uh, expertise that is flowing in there from the, our hospital, from hospitals all around the world, from experts all around the world, so that every each uh, in, uh, and every indivi individual can really profit and optimize their health and prevent disease. And when they are suffering from chronic disease, they can manage this disease much better, even from home, and avoid complications and reach the best attainable health that they can. So my step one. If I want to reach to your department, is how can I reach to your department? Where how? you can call us, you can write us an email. Uh, it's it's quite easy. I think it's we're we're easily accessible. And what is the best the the what is what is what is the very first step? The first we have step a consultation, and you are going to throw a couple of metrics on me, or how how is it going to work? The first step is you. You have to decide you want to be in the best possible shape you can. That's the first step. Okay. And then you pick up the phone. Okay. Good. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's okay. been thrilling. So thank you very much for listening to this new edition of the podcast Health Today, produced by UN Today and Here's London.